How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. Yes, this morning, as I mentioned, we're looking at the Father's kindness to Paul, as we just finished singing about in that great chorus, that reminder of God's sovereignty, which we've seen throughout this, but today we zoom in a little bit and see the specific ways that Paul is cared for by God, by the Father, as he continues to follow this difficult course. And here we're reminded from Scripture as well, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And of course, salvation, yes, eternal life, yes, but even in this life, even as we continue this journey and face difficulties and storms, God can, is so great at caring for us and walking with us every step of the way. And uh, thinking about the Father, I remember back in seminary, my, my New Testament professor would say often, you know, there's been in the 20th century a Holy Spirit movement. There's been a Jesus freak movement. We need a God the Father movement and not forget or take for granted the care of this person of the triune Godhead. So good is he in our lives. And so before we jump in, just quick review. Last week, Robert took us through the shipwreck, uh, starting out what some call Paul's fourth missionary journey. It's obviously very different than the previous three. Uh, we saw that last week, a great look at, at that journey across the sea and all that they went through. We'll pick up right after uh, that shipwreck on the shores of the island of, of Malta. But it is so true to remember God and what he does for us. Now, in today's uh, part of this fourth journey, if you will, we'll see really the most uh, familiar part and what we're used to from the previous three journeys, a ministry opportunity and time with a people group. Here's the big idea for today's passage, as always, just to kind of guide us uh, through our journey. Today, we will see several instances of the Father's kindness toward Paul along the final part of his journey to Rome. Let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Father, again, we are so thankful for this opportunity to be here today freely worshiping you as a corporate body. Thank you for the guests and friends who are with us, Lord. And as we pray, and have even already prayed today, that you would just open our eyes. Help us to walk from here anew, strengthened by your grace, sanctified by your word, and encouraged by the power of your Holy Spirit as we have so much going on. Each, each and every person in this room has some struggle that they're dealing with, Lord God. And let us just be reminded of your kind care and provision, even during the storms. Encourage us today as we head back out into the life you have for us, that we would continue to seek to glorify you and apply the truth of the gospel to our life each day. And again, for those in here who are not saved, Father, bring about that gift of repentance and faith in their heart. Bring about a harvest of salvation even this day. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. Yes, we have made it to the final chapter of Acts. It'll take us two weeks to get through it and finish this incredible journey that's taken us a little bit over a year. So we're going to pick up in verse 1 of 28 and, uh, and read through, and we'll be going through today till verse uh, 15. But read with me now verses 1 through 6 in Acts 28. Luke writes, after we were brought safely through, 
We then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly, or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, as I read, read this, what came to my mind, one of my favorite fiction books, The Hobbit, chapter 6, I love the title, Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire, right? As they're uh, being rescued from the goblins only to be chased up trees by wolves. You know, it doesn't get any worse than that. And, and that's what we have here. They survived the shipwreck. And we saw, Robert did a great job last week helping us to see the danger and the anxiety and the stress of that moment. They've survived that miraculously, all 276 people on the boat. But now they're stranded on an island, not sure at first maybe which island, who's on it. They have no food. They have no provisions. They're cold. It's raining from one problem to another. And yet after the shipwreck, look how God provides for our heroes and the entire crew. First thing we see uh, where Luke just simply says we were brought safely. Just That incredible reminder of God's sovereignty to bring them safely. It wasn't because of the ship that they were brought safely to Malta. It wasn't because of the pilot. It was simply because of God and his provision. Think about it for a minute. Robert mentioned this last week. From North Africa to Sicily, you had about 200, almost 300 miles, right? And in this 300-mile range from North Africa to Sicily, you have an eight-mile-wide island that they just happen to. The wreck on. That would be like uh, Tacoa Falls near the state line down to Charleston and them hitting Wade Hampton. It's incredible. God sovereignly guided them. And for the most part, they were still on their course that they had set out originally. It's incredible how he does this. The second thing we see is these native people coming. Now, I imagine, I remember the stories from American history when the, the white settlers arrived. You know, there was a lot of fear and trepidation by the natives as, as they all them come, and, and that's to be expected, but not these natives. These natives, uh, and, and really that, that word, some of your translations may have barbarian, and they're, you know, it's not the same as how we think of barbarian, but they were acting like anything but barbarians. Look at the unusual kindness shown to Paul and the others by this group to take care of them, to start a fire for them, and to tend to their needs uh, almost immediately. In fact, uh, the Greek word for unusual kindness, that's the word that we get philanthropy from, philanthropy, just that love for humanity coming uh, from these islanders uh, as they greet them on the shore and and kind of bring them out from the elements. I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you're kind of outside, it's raining, it's miserable, and you finally get dry. You finally get warm. And just that feeling of, of relief and enjoying the dryness after being so wet. And uh, when I was a kid, senior in high school, we did our senior trip to the Keys, me and four guys. All we had was a three-man tent. I don't know what we were thinking, five, three. I guess school didn't work too well. We had no supplies, but we were dead set on going to the Florida Keys to camp. And there was already a group of guys from our school down there. We get down there Friday night. It's pouring rain. 
we're sitting, we're, we're in a car outside the campsite. Like, what do we do? We just can't, we can't even set the, the one tent up. And I remembered, I, I told my friends, I'm like, well, my brother's got a friend down here who, who manages a hotel. They're like, call him, right? Of course, that's payphone day. So we find a payphone, call my brother, get a number, call the guy. It works out. I'm the hookup king. Not only do we get a free room, we get a free villa, but just that feeling of coming out, what looked like a disaster, being stuck in the elements and having that warmth, that dryness, uh, that's what they're experiencing here. And then you see uh, the next thing, uh, how God provides, is the viper. This is, this is incredible. Paul, which I love this, he's like the leader of Gentile Christianity. He's out gathering sticks. What a great model of servant leadership. But he's getting sticks for the fire, helping out. Apparently, there was a viper kind of hibernating in the sticks, and it got on him. A pit viper attached himself to the arm. And sure enough, everyone's thinking, this guy is dead. He's going to die. And I love Paul's style. I mean, Paul's just like, hold my drink, right? I'm just going to shake this thing off in the fire while the, the natives are freaking out. Hey, this, he's going to die. And, and last week, again, Robert mentioned to us, which, which was very accurate, this idea in the ancient world that the sea was kind of like judge and jury for those who were shipwrecked. Uh, and so folks who died on the sea, people just assume, well, they must have been guilty of something, right? The sea got them. The sea judged them. And here he survives the sea only to be bitten by a pit viper. So uh, what's interesting, you, you look what the, the islanders say from their perspective. No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. The word for justice there is actually the name of the deity goddess, justice, in the Greek mythology. So they're assuming he has been judged. More than that, uh, what's, what's really cool is about 100 years before this, a poem was written in that part of the world. It's in a, a collection called the Palatine Anthology uh, associated with Horus. And this poem almost states the exact same thing. Look at this. Oh, he escaped the storm and the raging murderous sea. But as he lay stranded in the Libyan sand, not far from the beach, and heavy with sleep, at last, naked and destitute, weary as he was from the terrible shipwreck, the viper struck him dead. Why did he struggle against the waves? He did not escape the lot which was destined for him on land. So even here, 100 years earlier, there's a, a poem, a, a piece of prose that that. Lays this out. These guys could have been familiar with that. Thinking, ah, look at him. He's fulfilling that prophecy in a way. But no, God provides his kindness, not just to bring them through safely, not just to provide for them in the elements, but to protect him from the effects of the viper. And what's really funny here, Luke has some humor in the text. They go from considering him a murderer to a god, right? Just kind of funny uh, for Luke to include that in here. And it's not that they, they thought he was a god, but that he had a connection with the gods. And oh, how right they were. The sovereign God. God the Father, our King. And here he provides for him so perfectly. And, and just an encouragement for us as we walk through life, as we deal with things. Have you ever uh, received such unusual kindness from uh, a stranger or, or somebody as you were struggling and dealing with brokenness? Can you think of a time in your life where you were just between a rock and a hard place, and a miracle happened. God provided. Even a year ago, uh, after the worship service, my boys and I were going to head down to Florida for our week's vacation. And on the way to church, I realized that one of our calipers was seized up. And essentially, the brakes were on all the time. And I'm not going to say his name, but a member of this church said, hey, you go get the part. Come to my shop. I'm going to put it on for free. And he was so kind to us. In a couple hours, we're on our way. What seemed like 
a no-win. God provided that kindness. And we should take note of that, and we should praise him uh, for that each and every time. And, and also, no matter the storm, Paul knew that God would deliver him in some way. He walked with this faith. Even if the last storm meant his death, he would then experience the greatest deliverance ever, eternal life. And the same is true for us who are in Christ. Look at this passage from 2 Timothy 4, where Paul, again, Paul is, uh, is writing here the last chapter that he would write before his death. And look what he says to Timothy from the Roman, the Roman imprisonment there. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And friends, if you're in Christ, that same thing is true for you and for me as well. Absolutely true. But the question I have is, what do we do in the storm? I guarantee everybody, every believer in this room is experiencing, and even those of you who are not saved, experiencing storms and struggles. Or maybe you've just come out of one, or maybe one is on the horizon, some difficult circumstances. So for those of us who are in Christ, what do we do in the storm? And I have four things for you here up on the screen. First and foremost, walk with him. Walk with God, not away from him. I have experienced in, in my life, it's natural to subtly walk away from God when I'm trying to put fires out and deal with some difficulty that comes up. It's just natural. So we need to prepare ourselves for that and proactively walk in the other direction and stay close to him. How do we do that? Here's one way. Walk in spirit and truth, not crippled by emotions. Again, it's natural when we go through something very difficult for the emotions to take over. Fear, anxiety, depression. And, and that, that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. But we want to make sure of it is we do not let those emotions lead us. We want to stay in God's word. Uh, again, cuddle up close to God as you're going through it. Be in his word. Be in prayer. Let truth lead you through it not your feelings, and that'll help you stay with him. The next thing is walk in obedience, not sin. Our enemy will take advantage of our weakness, our physical weakness, our emotional weakness, and temptation will almost get louder. And so we have to be aware of that and still walk in obedience, in obedience to the word of God and not allow our flesh and our enemy to take advantage of it. And then finally, and this one's really important, walk with others, not alone. It's also very natural to want to circle the wagons when you, when you go through and, and kind of pull away from your church family, from your friends, and you have to fight against that. I have to fight against that. This is the time where we need missional community. We need our cell groups. We need our church family more than ever. So uh, walk with others, not alone. So I hope, I hope these will help you in whatever you might be going through now or in the future. So we've seen God's kindness immediately after the shipwreck. Now we're going to see it, going to see it on the island of Malta during the three months that our heroes will spend there. Look at this passage. This is a passage that I'm going to share with you. Make note of this. During some of the darkest times in our life, uh, my wife and I, this passage, actually the larger passage, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10, has been incredibly encouraging. And so I share this, this last verse with you that Peter tells us. And after you, again, this is a promise for the church. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I can tell you, I mean, I'm no Paul, but after 22 years of following Christ, that verse 
has been fulfilled time and time again in my life. God is so faithful. I'm sure many of you could come up here right now and share stories about where this has been true. But if you're going through something especially, let this passage uh, encourage you. I've shared this before. The greatest storm that my wife and I have gone through is uh, our first few years of ministry right out of seminary down in Florida. Uh, Two years of church planning that ended in no church. That was very difficult. But that led to uh, a job as an associate pastor in a church, which was supposed to come back and help us plant the church eventually, uh, only to find out after a few months that this church was teaching heresy. The pastor uh, was into heresy. And when I realized that, God led me to resign and walk away. So we had a year after that where I was working more than ever as a substitute teacher and at the YMCA, but wasn't making that much money. So we, we came to almost financial ruin when God hi, uh, allowed for me to be hired by Pendleton Street Baptist in Greenville. That's what brought us up here. But what was incredible and where God showed the specific kindness, like what we're seeing with Paul in this passage, is the fact that we could not sell our condo in Florida. In fact, it would take 22 months to finally sell it. This is about halfway. Uh, you might remember the 2008 crash. Well, this was 2006, and the housing market tanked in Florida even a couple years before 2008. But what was great is we were set to move up. I think it was two weeks before we were going to move up here. I knew I couldn't afford a mortgage and rent up in Greenville. And this uh, family at Pendleton Street called, and they were going to let us stay in their townhome for free for however long we needed. And it was just a a time of rejoicing that I still remember where just God's kindness. He had it all figured out. He was taking taking care of our needs before uh, they would even arrive. And I'm sure... He has done that for you, and he will in what you're going through as well. Let's rejoin the text and see what happens on Malta, beginning, uh, picking up in verse 7. Now, in the neighborhood of, of that place, Malta, were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. How great is God's provision. Now, you might remember last week we learned that there were three months you did not sail on the Mediterranean Sea during the winter. And that was pretty much from the end of October all the way to the beginning of February. And that's how long they spend on Malta. They'll spend three months essentially wintering or or surviving the winter. And the first, uh, again, another example here we see in this part, the first one in this part of this kindness of the father for Paul is this man Publius. He is the chief man. He's the first man of the island. He's probably the proconsul, a Roman official who was in charge of the entire island. Again, this island isn't huge. It's about 8 miles by 18 miles. So I I looked at a map and kind of tried to get it to something we could relate with. If you went from Greer to Cherrydale, up to Traveler's Rest, and then 290 back to Greer, that's about the size of the island. So it's not huge. And this man is, is probably the Roman official who is in charge. And they would be spending three months... But look what he does. He, uh, we're not sure if this is just Paul and his friends or all 276 people, but he brings them into his, onto his property and takes care of them for three days as they give them time to get situated, to find more permanent lodging and, and a place to stay. Again, just that kindness of God to provide so wonderfully 
uh, for our friends and, and through this man's generosity. Uh, the word hospitably is actually comes from that same root philanthropy that we get philanthropy for. So again, like unusual kindness here, we're seeing uh, God provide so wonderfully uh, through this man in their life. Now, another way God provides is he gives Paul ministry opportunity. We've learned after a year or half a year that what Paul loves more than anything is gospel ministry, is serving, healing, sharing the gospel, leading people to faith in Christ. And how great is it that God gives him a ministry while he's on the way to prison on this island of Malta? And it begins with the father of Publius. And now, raise your hand if you've been to Mexico. Who's been to Mexico? What's the name of the famous sickness that you have to be careful of in Mexico, namely drinking the water? Montezuma's Revenge, that's right. A regional popular sickness that we've got to be careful of. Well, there's actually one of those in Malta that has been infamous for thousands of years. It's known as the Maltese fever. And scholars believe that's exactly what this man had. And what it would do is it would make you sick and feverish, and you can imagine the kind of sickness, uh, for at least four months. It didn't kill you. It just made you sick as a dog for four months. Some cases would last two to three years. Well, after uh, Pasteur gave us the germ theory, scientists were able to come in the 1800s and learn that the Maltese fever came from a microorganism that lived in goat's milk. So you could go to Malta today and get the Maltese fever. The good thing is uh, there's been a vaccine around, I think, since the early 1900s, so uh, you may want to get that. But nonetheless, that's what we're dealing with here, a famous regional sickness, and look how Paul heals him. And then, much like we see in Jesus' ministry back in Luke 4 in Capernaum when he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then like the whole town came and he healed all of them, the same thing happens to Paul, an incredible ministry of, of healing all the, the islanders who came once they heard about this miracle, Paul is healing them. Now, we've also learned another lesson throughout Acts, and this is important for us to remember. Miracles were always a means to an end. They were always there to assist the preaching of the gospel. So we should assume here that there's more healing going on than just physical healing. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Church is started. Leaders are being raised up. There's no way Paul would spend three months on this island without doing some church planning, as God is saving men and women and children and bringing them to faith in Christ. So an incredible season uh, of ministry for Paul. And then finally, uh, look at the last verse in this section, verse 10. After the three months were over, they get a ship. Look what they do. They bring all of these resources to provide for the 276 as they finish their 300-mile journey to Rome. God provides kindly once again. Every detail is taken care of. These, these islanders who have been blessed with the gospel, with healing, have a chance to show their appreciation and honor Paul and his companions by providing for all their needs, everything they needed. What a great God we have. Now, just a few application points before we get to our final section. And, and this comes from personal experience. I can be very prideful at times. And one of the struggles I had was being very stubborn and prideful when somebody would want to do something special for me or give me a gift. And I just want to encourage you, as believers, any gift that we get is the grace of God. And so if you're prideful like me, you don't like, I'll, I'll do it my own with my own sweat, I don't need your help, we've got to get away from that. Remember, being a Christian is about grace, both, both receiving grace 
and giving grace. And I am a firm believer that any gift that comes to me is from my Father in heaven. So as hard as it might be, accept the grace and gifts of others. Because it's really God, your Father, taking care of you. And you don't know what's coming. He might be providing for something that you don't know about yet, and you're, you know, saying no to the, the gift horse, so to speak. So accept these gifts. Now, on the other end of that, be thankful, not entitled, as I tell my kids all the time. Be thankful, not entitled, and give God glory uh, when he provides. Uh, the next, uh, another thing just to, to mention here is we've seen two usages of the same root word. Again, that give us our English word philanthropy. And, and what that word means in the context of our passages, again, is that deep love for humanity, the deep love for others, where you would give them the shirt off your own back. And I don't know about you, but as a church, wouldn't we love to have opportunities like this to, to bless and to honor and to share and to give uh, in such a way? And I was talking to one of our missionaries this week, Michael Boyer in Ireland, and he was reminding me of kind of their philosophy of ministry, where you move into a town and then on a regular basis, they did it here in Greenville when they lived here, they would just invite all the people that live close to their house to their home once a, a week. It was a lot. We might try to do it once every other month. But they would just open their house and have a meal and go knock on doors and just tell people, come. Again, just, just have a meal. Just to be hospitable and show the love of Christ by feeding people and bringing them into your home. And I was reminded about that. I'm like, I told Jen, I'm like, we have to do that. Again, not once a week. That might be too much. But just go around, have a meal. Whoever comes, comes. And then just do that on a regular basis. I think that would be a great uh, ministry opportunity for us to do as families wherever we live. Now, I know some of you don't have neighbors, or those neighbors are like 10 acres away. That might be a little difficult. But those of us who do, I think that's a great opportunity to glorify God and do the very thing that we see, uh, again, these pagans doing, right? At least at the beginning, uh, we, we should have reason to believe they were saved here uh, near the end. And when we do that, uh, we might even have a chance to fulfill what we see here at the end of Hebrews. Look at this passage. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember, those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So whether those inside the church or outside the church, we are commanded to show this type of hospitality and love to others. And I don't know about you, but I can do a better job of that. So let's encourage uh, one another in that. All right, so we've seen the first two uh, parts of this passage. Now we're going to see God's kindness on the final leg of the journey, along the final leg. Now, when I uh, first went on an international mission trip, it was to the Philippines. I've told you that before. And it was in 2008, again, here in Greenville with our church. And I didn't, I didn't tell anybody this on the trip, but looking, I, I was scared. I was really scared on that first journey because I'd never been somewhere on a mission trip out of the country. And Philippines, I mean, you can't get any farther from home. It's, it's right there. It's on the other side of the planet, 12 hours uh, ahead of us. And it, it would require a 24-hour travel time just to get to the country and then another five hours of driving. And what scared me the most, I think, was the 19-hour flight from Detroit uh, to Japan. Um, and then again, another flight to the Philippines. The idea of being in a plane. And, and I was so scared uh, of just the unknown. Jen, we just moved here. I had to leave Jen at home with two toddlers. Isaac and Joel were real young and I dealt and struggled with fear. It kind of surprised me. I wasn't ready for it. 
But what God used to encourage me was this church. Philippines love Americans. It's like the one country in the world. They still love Americans. But imagine a church full of Filipinos and the love. It was incredible. We get to the airport. It's, again, one of the largest cities in the world, Manila. And the pastor is there to meet us and encourage us and pick us up. And then as we start our travel, some of his family members met us at a restaurant, further encouraging us. And then when we finally got to the fishing village of Massenlock, five hours from the city, the church came out to greet us like we were superstars. And I just remember how that encouragement and that love of the church took away my fears. And God filled me with his spirit. And one of, the, one of those incredible moments where you meet someone on the other side of the planet for the first time, and yet because both of us have the Holy Spirit, it's like we've known each other our whole lives. I'm sure you've experienced that as well. But I'll never forget how God used the church to encourage me uh, during that time. And we're going to see something similar here uh, in this final section, how God uses the church to encourage Paul as he gets closer and closer to his Roman imprisonment. So let's pick back up in the text, verse 11, and read to 15. After three months, again on Malta, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Picholi. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. So again, picking up at Malta, they spent the three months there. Winter was over. Uh, a, Roman, a famous Roman official named Pliny the Younger, who thankfully wrote a lot of stuff down that we can read today and learn uh, from a Roman perspective of Christianity, he said that February 8th was the magic date for being able to sail on the Mediterranean again. So we'll assume this is February 8th. How great. Again, talk about God's provision. You remember last week we learned that they were probably on a grain ship. There was a, a fleet of grain ships, large ships that made a circuit from Alexandria, bringing the grain from Egypt to Rome. And uh, here's another one. The, the ship that wrecked was the same type of ship. And then they find another large grain ship that happened to winter on this small island of Malta. And so uh, you'll see uh, some, oh, first of all, the twin gods. What are these twin gods? I thought that was really interesting. You know I love history, so some of you are bore. Some of you will love this. But the, uh, the twin gods here are the sons Castor and Pollux. They were sons of a real queen of Sparta. And then as time went on, they made these sons into legend, that they were uh, taken by Zeus and made into gods. And that's where Gemini comes from. So the constellation Gemini is, uh, is connected to these, these two twin, these two twin sons, Castor and Pollux. And Gemini was, uh, and these two gods were supposed to be uh, the encouragers and the help for sailors. So if sailors saw Gemini, the constellation, they saw that as a sign from the gods that they would have no trouble on the sea. So this was simply the, the figurehead. You'll see a picture of them up on the, the screen, the figureheads of these two twin gods. Uh, that would be obviously be a great choice for a boat. And it's how boats were identified by their carvings. So we see here, and, and you'll see maps uh, up on the screen. They'll be up here for a little while as we look at these final legs. Look at the text with me, and we'll, we'll see each of these three final legs. First, they put in at Syracuse. Syracuse was the capital of Sicily. So about 60 miles from Malta to Syracuse. Stayed there for a few days. 
Then they got back on the boat, left Sicily, and made their way to Regium. Regium was on the tip of the boot of Italy, of the mainland. Uh, so they were there, and it seems like there was a difficulty in getting there. It says here that they made a circuit. Uh, theologians don't really know what to make of it. It's a very difficult translation, but it seems like that leg was a difficult one. And then uh, they had some fortunate winds that takes them through the Strait of Messina. That's a little narrow uh, waterway in between Sicily and the Italian mainland. If you've read Homer's Odyssey, it's made famous in, in that legend there. Is, is there some danger there for the hero? So they make their way, uh, and this is the longest leg from Regium to Patoli. It's 210 miles, so a, a long way. They make it in great time, and they finally get to this town, Patoli. And this was the home base of this grain fleet, so all these boats that would bring grain. This is where they were supposed to go the whole time. They finally arrive in the Bay of Naples. And here's where we see the encouragement of the church that I wanted to get us to in verse 14. Look at this. They go to this town on the west coast of Italy, and they found a church. How awesome is that? They found a church of believers in Patoli. Now, even more miraculously, the Roman soldiers, we haven't seen them yet in the narrative, but they're there. The Roman centurion, uh, Julius, and the soldiers allowed them to stay with this church for an entire week. It's incredible how God's providing, being encouraged and strengthened by this group. And remember, Christianity found its way to Rome long before Paul even started his first missionary journey. Uh, Even going back to Acts 2, there were Jews from Rome at Pentecost who came to faith in Christ. So here you see this great encouragement uh, in this section, which, uh, again, God's providing so wonderfully. Um, And then look at verse 15. This is the final verse we're going to look at today. Uh, It's a little confusing to understand what's happened, but I've done the work to pull out what's going on here. Look at the end of verse 14. Luke has what seems to be a premature statement in here. And so we came to Rome. Like, no, you didn't. You're in Patoli. Patoli was still 130 miles from Rome. And yet Luke's saying we came to Rome. What, what I see this is, is Luke is, is just done with boats, right? He's ready to be off the ships. I can almost imagine Luke getting off that last boat and kissing the ground. We've made it. We've finally made it. No more boats from this point on. I think that's what he's saying. And then in verse 15, and the brothers there, that's the church of Rome, all right? So the brothers there, the church at Rome, when they heard about us, that we had arrived, came as far as the Forum of Apius and three taverns. Now, what's in view here is, remember the Roman roads? The most famous, most well-constructed Roman road led into Rome, which you would expect. And this is where most of that 130-mile journey would be, on the Appian Way, the Appian Way. If you go to Rome today, you can actually go walk on the Appian Way. A lot of history involving this road. And when the Romans built this road system throughout the empire, they would put what's called halting stations every 15 to 20 miles. Again, a watering hole, a place to take a break, like we have uh, on the interstate today. In fact, when I was a kid... I lived in South Florida. We would always take the Florida Turnpike to Orlando. And like every 50 miles, there would be the the greatest rest stop ever. They were always in the middle, so you could get to it from north or south. They had restaurants. My favorite thing, they had candy vending machines and soda vending machines. And it was so great to be able to stop there, especially when you had a small bladder. So that's what these are. These are like rest stops, these halting stations. And so what's happening here is the church at Rome 
They, they don't want to wait for Paul to get to Rome. They're so excited to see this guy. Remember, five years ago, he wrote them the letter to, to the Romans, telling them that he intended to come. A great letter. So they were so excited to come meet Paul and those who with him that they just head out in, to kind of intersect him, to head him off on the Apian Way. Some of them make it to the Forum of Apius, 43 miles away from Rome. That's probably the youth group, the younger ones. Uh, others couldn't make it that far, but they make it to the, to the Three Taverns, which is only about 20 miles from Rome. But how great is it that God the Father in his kindness to Paul is using the body of Christ, this final stretch of the journey, to this imprisonment? Now, Paul, we know, is a strong guy, but listen, however you want to color it, the guy's getting ready to go to jail. He's getting ready to go before the emperor Nero. He's a human just like we are. He's got to be discouraged. He's got to be struggling. And in Petuli and now in two places along the way, the people of God, the church, are coming to love on him and encourage him and surround him. And I think the most important part of this passage, look at the, verse of, the end of verse 15. Paul thanked God and took courage. Upon seeing them, upon seeing this He's the love of the people of God. Paul thanks God and took courage. What a wonderful passage, and a great encouragement for us, and evidence that Paul probably was struggling. He was dealing emotionally with depression, with anxiety, and God blesses him in an incredible way. Now for us, again, a few application points, and then we are done. First question is this. When you struggle, it's really a reminder, not a question, just a reminder. When, when you struggle, when you go through difficult times, which is inevitable, uh, you know, even in, in Matthew 7, you see that, that both the people who have the foundation, the rock and the sand, both get hit by the storm, right? Just remember, one, don't go AWOL. Don't leave us. Don't forget us. Don't stop showing up to Mission Community Group, to Cell Group, to Sunday morning. Don't call, don't call AWOL, and don't circle the wagons. Uh, God is allowing these things to happen in us so that we can learn and grow from them. And one of the greatest ways is to humble ourselves, to be honest, and come to your church, come to your brothers and sisters, and be honest with what you're struggling with. Even sin struggles, not just circumstantial struggles, but sin struggles. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Don't be ashamed. All of our marriages struggle at times. It's It's normal. We've seen the reminder from Scripture that there's no sin we're going to deal with that's not common to man. The enemy wants to pull you away. You know the illustration about the fire. When you have the embers, you take one ember and put it over the side. What happens in a minute? It's cold enough to pick up. So when these things happen, I cannot emphasize enough. Fight against your natural urges and come and tell us. Let us know. Let us walk through this with you. It's what God's probably trying to teach you uh, during these times. So we just need to be reminded of that here. The other thing is this, and Paul gives us a great example, be thankful. Like Chris Thomas says, we have a good, good father, don't we? We've seen the evidence here. Uh, I'm sure you've been reminded about things in your life, but be thankful. Thank him just like Paul does here. Give him glory and praise him for his abundant grace and caring for your needs. Learn to recognize in the midst of the storm, again, in, in between shipwreck and in, in between prison, learn to recognize the day-to-day kindness of God the Father and his, his provision for you. And listen, I can tell you from experience, when you're, when you're experiencing depression or anxiety, 
one of the greatest ways to get lifted out of that is be thankful. Write a list. Find things that are going well, that haven't broken down or gone to pot, and write those down. And thank God for, and you'll notice your list of things to still be thankful for is so much bigger than whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever you're, you're struggling with. And when you practice this discipline and just be thankful and thank God for all, namely your salvation and your eternal life, you'll, you'll see as the Spirit will lift the depression or calm the nerves, whatever it takes, to get you back on track. I've proven it. I've done this. It works. And I'm going to need you to encourage me and remind me of this one day. I promise you, be thankful. And then finally, just that reminder, we as believers don't live by blind faith. As R.C. Sproul said in his sermon, we have a manifest destiny by the sovereign hand of God who is in control. He doesn't forget us. He, he authors every aspect of our life, the good as well as the bad. We just need to learn to trust him and bring the church in on our journey when the, when the going gets tough. So let us be reminded of that uh, here today. Again, what a great great reminder, uh, great passage. Here's a, a way I'd like for us to end today. This is a benediction that comes from the end of 1 Timothy, and this is the end of our, our, our time together today. So let's just read the. I'll read it aloud, but read it with me silently and just praise God for his greatness. Uh, and here again, God the Father is in view. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I'll go ahead and invite Micah to come back up. He's going to lead us in our, our final song of worship. And let's just do that. Let's continue worshiping. If you're a Christian here today, just what, what we've been shown and reminded of by God's kindness, just worship him from the heart in this last song. And if you're not a Christian, man, again, we want to talk to you. All right, this is real. Christianity is real. It's not a religion. It's a rescue mission by our creator through his blessed son, Jesus Christ. We want to share that more accurately with you. So come and talk to me. Come and talk to Robert. Come and talk to others around here who you recognize as leaders and let us share this with you. Or track us down this week. Again, the invitation is always open here at the Church of Blue Ridge. Email, phone, text. We want to share Christ with you more accurately. And just as a preview, we're going to be learning a lot more about the triune Godhead and get to know God the Father as we are going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount this fall, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Also, our plans are for next year, 2019, to pick up the Gospel of John. So we're going to be learning a lot more about this beautiful, wonderful God whom we love. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you so much. We praise you for your grace, for your kindness. And I just thank you for Paul. What a, what a great guy. I mean, yeah, we think about his, his preaching ability and his ability to shake off getting stoned and all these incredible uh, hero-like things that he does. But at the end of the day, he was still human, like each of us in this room. He still struggled, and we see some of that today. And how he was willing to accept your grace, how he was willing to accept your kindness and not fall into stubborn pride, how he was allowed to allow the church to encourage him as he struggled, no doubt, uh, with conflicting emotions. Thank you for this picture of him we have today. And my prayer, Lord, is that uh, you'll just meet us where we're at today and, and use this great reminder in our hearts uh, for those of us who are saved to strengthen us, to grow us, to help us learn to focus more on you and to
to surrender to your will, even in the hard times, and to let other people in, into our sufferings and struggles. And of course, for those who are lost, Lord, as we pray each and every week, open their eyes and lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. Again, we love you and give you glory. It's in his name we pray.